The Start On Demand. demand. Have you done your census yet? It's Census Day in Canada, and today we learned that there's actually a pretty shocking change in attitude towards the census, so we had fun getting into that. Vaccine eligibility dropped to 30-plus on Monday, and many took advantage and got themselves appointments, and that is bringing us a dose of optimism once again after what was just a crushing weekend. Should kids be on apps like Instagram? There's a push to stop Facebook from going forward with its plan to develop Instagram for kids. And imagine you're on a suspension bridge where the floor is made of glass, and then a big wind gust blows out the glass. Well, it happened in China, so we had a chat about the tourist spots that we would like to visit, but won't. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Tuesday, May 11th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. Yesterday, I spoke of the wild emotional roller coaster that I personally have felt over the recent days, this mixed bag of optimism and then sudden cynicism and, you know, sadness with all the businesses that are once again having to close. And then yesterday, sort of a, a fresh wave of optimism. And I'm not saying everything's hunky-dory, everything's great, but with the, the vaccine eligibility dropping to 30, I saw Lots of my peers and friends booking appointments. I saw more peers and friends actually getting their shot. Some of our colleagues got their vaccines yesterday. Some of our younger colleagues, Christian O'Mell, got his. Gabrielle Marchand got hers. Others have made appointments. Jay Richardson from Power 97 got his. So uh, I, once again, am feeling kind of hopeful, Loren. Yeah, it's bizarre feeling because I also had a family member who went and got their vaccine yesterday. And so I brought Moose downtown for a walk, which, by the way, he thoroughly enjoys the smells of downtown. And uh, all these people were coming and going from the convention center and, you know, with their masks on and in and out. And I just it felt it felt uh, weirdly normal, like, the, you know, just stopping in, getting my vaccine, going to go back on to work. And everybody just seemed to be casually taking part in it. And so to me, I felt good about that because I want to see. As so many people have said on social media, I'm not going to get sick of your vaccines. Go ahead and post them. I want to see them because that's what we keep hearing. Number one way out of this, Greg, is with that. And so when they lower the age limit, I want to know that people are signing up to that like it's the latest rock concert ticket. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because uh, yesterday was as bad a day as we've seen in terms of overall new COVID-19 cases in in quite some time. And also the test positivity rate in Winnipeg up around 15% now. It's obviously concerning, but I am sharing along with both of you just that sense of we can get through this. And I know it's easy for us to say sometimes, but... Uh, you know, more vaccinations is going to be absolutely critical in terms of us coming out on the other side and watching the numbers in Quebec and Ontario go down. Alberta is still in a, in a world of hurt, of course. But England yesterday, for the first time in a year, zero deaths from COVID-19. And yes, it's all well and good to celebrate and get excited about seeing people back at hockey games and baseball games and the like. But when you see a country that was as hard hit as England was, or Great Britain overall, and they had zero deaths yesterday, Brett, I won't say it brought a smile to my face, but it certainly 
there was a sigh of relief there. And uh, it just indicates that we are closer to the end of this than we are to the beginning of it. And that's one of the things that sort of came up in Dr. Brent Rusin's news conference yesterday. One of the reporters said... Uh, this current public health order goes until the 30th, but as we saw in the second wave, the health orders got extended and extended and extended. Yeah, and and Rusin said, yeah, but we didn't have the vaccine then, so mm-hmm. if we can just get as many people uh, vaccinated as possible over the next three weeks, then there could be a reason to be optimistic as we head into the summer and so and and like they the the age dropped to 30 what is it every two days they're lowering the eligibility i think oh it seems to be i think from friday we were at 45 and then 40 uh by saturday or sunday and then 30 are we at 30 now right yeah 35 and it's it's actually it feels like it might be going even faster than that yeah so 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 maybe by tomorrow producer jeff fortier 29 maybe your number's gonna come up (laughs) just give it to me already Fortune, do you need a fake ID? Can does that work? <laughs> Apparently, that I do. You know, I'm I'm just <laughs> short of thirty. I'm I'm twenty nine. I turned thirty next month. Oh wow! <laughs> I say your birthday's coming up. Yeah. So yeah, you shouldn't have to wait. So that should drop. But part of the concern, uh, and I'm sorry, guys. Uh, I don't want to be a negative nabob here or anything like that. But part of the concern that the that the uh, there's it's a good thing that the number or the age is dropping, Loren. But there's also a concern that maybe that age is dropping faster than we anticipated because there's less of an uptake in other age groups. Fair to say? It certainly wasn't busy. Like it wasn't, there wasn't lineups. We, we were in and out really quick. So the, the thing that's great about what's going on right now and it, is that it's happening quickly and that people are in and out at a neighbor who was in and out in 30 minutes, including the 15 minutes you have to sit and wait to make sure you don't have any sort of reaction right while you're there. And so it's happening quickly. It's much more organized. Um, than it was at the beginning. And that's fair. We're going to make improvements along the way. But it's not busy enough as far as some are concerned, right? You want to just see this constant lineup going. And I had another friend, a neighbor, who yesterday when the age dropped, um, signed up right away and was able to get in for, I believe, Friday. So a Monday to a Friday. So there's not that delay, huge delay, two-week delay, three-week delay in getting appointments. And so that leads me to wonder if there's just you know, where the uptick is at. And that's even Pallister commented yesterday, you know, that, that in talking with the North Dakota governor and the various negotiations they have or have not had over the past few weeks for vaccines, one of the things that happened there, and we've seen it in other parts of the states, is that, you know, the 60s and 70-year-olds and the 50-year-olds and the 40-year-olds, they all signed up and then you get to a certain point where it kind of slowed down. There were lineups for vaccines and then it sort of trickled uh, down to a much slower flow. So, that's something to just watch for. I I, all, I do think they could one thing they could improve upon is that when you go online, you have to click the location to which you'd like to get your vaccine at, and then it gives you the next available appointment. And if that doesn't work for you, then you have to go out and go back in and say, okay, now well, let me try Leela. Okay, now let me try Steinbach or, you know, because depending on where you live, for example, me, I was looking at everything from Warden to Steinbach to Winnipeg because I'll drive an hour or whatever to get it done because I'm already going into the city if I have to do it. It would make more sense to me if you could just click, show me the the na- closest appointment within a 60-kilometer radius or 30-kilometer radius or 20, whatever you're comfortable with in driving, and then instead of having to shop around because that still feels like what you're kind of doing, looking for the closest appointment. We want to start this half hour by asking the question, have you done your census? I did mine. Loren? I did mine. Greg? 
Going to jail. <laughs> <laughs> I got to go check my mailbox. <laughs> this was the best yesterday. I, I wrote Brett, Brett text yesterday to say, I've done my census. And I was like, yeah, I did mine the other day, too. And Greg's like, what? Yeah, <laughs> and we're like, I, oh, I boy, Greg, you better out. get to the mailbox. <laughs> I don't go to the mailbox very often because most of my bills come online. I don't like bills in the first place. So. Uh, I'm not expecting any money. It's uh, Well, my birthday is coming up, so maybe some cards will start flowing in. But, yeah, I better get to the mailbox because the deadline to fill out the census, I guess, is midnight tonight. Yes? Yeah. Yes. Census Mine was hand-delivered. Was yours just in the mail? Like, I had a woman at the door. It's actually someone I know. And I was like, oh, hey, Tracy, what are you doing here? And she just hands me this thing. I felt like I was being served. It's like, it's the census. And I was like, ooh, fun, because there's nothing else going on. Yeah. So you might as well sit down and fill out a census and hand over a bit of information. It was It's the short form as far as I'm concerned. I didn't have any questions about my commute or my drive or anything like that like some other people had done i don't know about you brett yeah i think i got the long form one because i was asked all sorts of questions like how do you get to work and uh but uh, i think they could have expanded on that as to how do you because i think it was how do you get to work and then it, it gave a list of like public transportation do you drive but my situation typically is I take a cab to work and then I walk home. So it right. would have been good to have an option. Or And why would they think of that? But it would have been nice to provide that feedback. So I added that in my comments. And there were a couple of annoying questions on mine, such as uh, they asked about my schooling. And I, t- you know, I the fact that I answered that I went to French immersion then led to a question. Did you go to a French immersion school or program in an English language school or did you go to a French, full French program in a French language school? And for me, it was neither. It was a full French immersion program. I graduated from Collège Pierre Elliott Trudeau, but uh, the only class where we spoke English was English. But the bulk of the students were from an English background there to learn French. So that was annoying. And the other annoying one was, uh, in what year was your apartment building built? And I'm thinking, how, how do I know, am I supposed to know that? I have no idea. And then it said, you know, if you don't know, just put your best guess. But of course, I couldn't accept just guessing which decade. So I spent 10 minutes trying to research when my building was built. And I finally found a list of on Wikipedia, of all places, of the tallest buildings in Winnipeg. Okay. 11 Evergreen Place is there. And it had the year 1984. <laughs> so, the census sent good. you down a rabbit hole, Brett. I love it. Because it it's funny because in years past, you know, they're always encouraging people to do these, right, Greg? And they go out every five years. And then Stats Canada, I mean, they always give you the line. This is where your government makes decisions from right they're going to build a school in a certain area if they find out there's a certain number of kids potentially there they might have information on you know a highway has to go in or dollars need to be spent here or there because that's how people are getting to work and so they use i mean they use part of the data at least the theory is to make informed decisions and so this year they're thinking there are more people than maybe ever before that are filling it out because a they have an online option that's making it easier but yeah like Brett, he took some time because I think, Brett, you had the time to, yeah. to, to make that happen. So uh, I don't know, Greg, I, if, uh, I mean, good luck to you if it's sitting in the mailbox and you haven't filled it out. Because in theory, in theory, mm-hmm. it's illegal to not do it. Okay, well, I'm not going to not do it, first and <laughs> foremost. 
<laughs> I'll phone somebody and find out, like, if it's not in the mailbox, what do I need to do? So that's that's the second thing. And I see people on social media lamenting the fact that they only got the short form. Yes. Sense, <laughs> yes. People were disappointed they didn't get the long form because they sat down all prepared, maybe with a beverage and uh, oh yeah, perhaps some snacks to do the census. And it ended up taking them all of six or seven minutes. <laughs> yeah. That was me. I poured I guess... myself a glass of wine and I was like, here we go. I got a night. And then I was like four minutes later and I was like, Bleh. Sorry, down. Sounds like a regular Saturday night. <laughs> yeah, I That's did. all you want to know from me? I mean, I'm ready to tell you some things. Like, <laughs> I sat on my balcony with a beer and, and filled it out. I don't know. It probably would have taken me 20 minutes if not for that little research excursion right. of mine. But I was kind of excited to do the long form. And I think this is the first year where they were asking questions of uh, when you were born, uh, were you, you know, male or female? And, and now, yeah. how do you identify? So it was cool to see stuff like that. But I was kind of hoping for like more. They, they were, it was almost all exclusively like, uh, what do you pay for your hydro? How much is your rent? What year was your apartment built? Like, why do you need to know so much about my dwelling? I would think that they, you'd think the government would have access to what year my building was built. So well, maybe that's good news. Maybe that's good news that they don't know that much about you. Uh, you know, maybe all these conspiracy theorists who believe the government knows everything there is to know about you doesn't know they don't know as much as we thought they did. And uh, just before, uh, I'll throw it back to you guys, but. I just want to throw this out there as a have not province, and I hate that tag. Mm -hmm. I wish we could drop it. But Manitoba obviously depends on transfer payments from Ottawa. That's based on population. Yep. So if you don't fill it out, you're costing Manitoba probably about 20 grand a head. So you might want to fill it out. Sorry, Brett. Oh, and I think that you technically can, as Lauren pointed out, it is illegal. You can be fined up to, I think, 500 bucks if you don't fill it out. Imagine you've traveled a long way, a long way to visit a fancy tourist destination, landmark, attraction of some sort, and it falls apart while you're on it. Well, if you are afraid of heights, this would be your worst nightmare. This tourist in northern China ended up clinging to the railing of a 100-meter-high suspension bridge. Gale force winds had shattered the glass panels on the bridge. It happened on Friday Apparently, he was stuck there for 30 minutes before he was rescued. I guess you actually wouldn't be on that bridge if you had a fear of heights. Global National Anchor Donna Freeze, and there it is. Six meter wide, 430 meter long bridge over China's Grand Canyon. The suspension bridge reaches over a 300 meter drop and can hold up to 800 people. 150 kilometer an hour wind gust blows out the glass. That you walk on, not just side panels, but the glass right that you would be walking across looking down. Yeah. Just to be clear, like your floor just dropped out from you, basically. So, I think that sounds like a cool thing to be on, but this outcome is scary. So we want to know, is there a tourist destination that you would like to visit, but the construction or location would prevent you from going? So uh, Poitras, why don't we start with you? Cam well, Poitras. Well, I would go absolutely anywhere in the world, unless like the ruling party has the word communist in it, then I'll avoid it 100% like Cuba or China or somewhere like that. But I will never, ever go to the Amazon rainforest because it looks horrible. <laughs> it's hot. It's, it, there's, it, it looks like there's a million things that can kill you. 
I, I'm a big fan of Anthony Bourdain, and uh, the only time that he went somewhere and looked like he really was miserable and not enjoying himself when he was in the Amazon rainforest. So that's it. That's that's out. But I will. I'll go anywhere else. Okay, Poitras is a man of adventure. Jeff Braun, what about you? Um, outer space. How about that? <laughs> I would, why? I think I would love to go to outer space, but I don't even really like flying. So I'm pretty sure that it would take uh, a team of wild horses to try and drag me onto a rocket. So that's out of the question. Although I, I like the idea of it, but practically I just can't see it happening. Well, and you don't, you know, it's like they, what did they say in Rogue One? What happens if uh, we don't make it through? Well, then we're, our ship is obliterated and we're, we fall into annihilation into the deep expanse, the empty expanse of space. So you'd be like Sandra yeah, no Bullock, thanks. just flying away <laughs> in gravity. Uh, Jeff Fortier. I would like to go see the Titanic, but, you know, Ooh, unfortunately, yeah. I don't have the cha-chas to uh, <laughs> get me, get me into, into a submarine and get me down there. <laughs> That's a great suggestion, though. I never would have thought of that because that is something that would be so neat to be able to see with your own eyes is the wreckage of the Titanic. Uh, GMAC, what about you? Well, I've always wanted to go to Machu Picchu in Peru, and I was always a little hesitant to even investigate because I thought you had to do this incredible hike. Uh, apparently, you can take a train now uh, way up in the sky and uh, see that incredible Inca settlement from the mid-1400s. But in that same neck of the woods, you got to Google this thing. Imagine, you know, the. it's funny how Star Wars comes up again. That section of the Millennium Falcon where Chewie and Han Solo sit, where they pilot yeah. The Millennium Falcon, the it's glass on all sides. <laughs> the They've got this thing that's called Sky Lodge Adventure Suites in Peru. And they, they're mounted on the side of a mountain. And it, that's what it looks like, is a little section of the Millennium Falcon, glass on all sides. And you kind of hang out literally on the side of the mountain. I would love to do it, but my palms are sweaty just looking at the pictures. <laughs> because I do not like heights, and I don't like the notion of of wanting to sort of just leap into the valley below because what movie I was watching a couple of weeks ago, they said, you know why they put a railing here? It's not to keep you from falling. It's to stop you from jumping. There's some sort of phenomenon where when you're at the top of something, you actually feel like you want to jump, but that's a whole other conversation. So you look it up sky lodge adventure suites. It's in Ura, Bamba, Peru. It Absolutely looks, incredible, but there's no way I'm doing it. That does look neat. And you're right. I remember being on my cruise ship and knowing, like, don't, you can't jump. You can't jump, but you feel, I just felt this urge, like, I want to just jump into the water. It looks so pretty and blue. Loren, what about you? Yeah, I, I've done a lot of pretty adventurous things and been a lot of bizarre, interesting, amazing places. And there's a part of me now that's not sure I still have that in me as what did Forche call it? The cha-chas? Like, <laughs> cha -chas. like I've done a lot of things. And so, for example, when we were in South Africa, I'd been living in Zimbabwe when I was in my early 20s. And my sister came and we drove down to South Africa and we stopped at all these great places. And along the way, and we get to Cape Town and we decide to go on kloofing, which is like where you hike through ravines in the in the mountains but you also jump into these pools of water in the mountains so it's kind of like cliff diving but kloofing in like in the interior part and you get to the top you know every i don't know 100 meters you get to this area and then the guy would say okay you can jump into this pool so you would because it was you know 10 feet high and then maybe 15 feet high and then we get to this point where it's like 25 or 30 feet and this guy jumps down into the water and then he stands there he's like okay girls 
jump between here and here. And then he, he's holding his arms out, you know, maybe like a foot and a half apart where your window was to like, <laughs> and I look at him and I was like, so don't, he's like, not over here, between here and here. Oh man. And my sister and I look at each other and we're like, nah, nope, nope, we're out. And, but then we had to get down. Oh, so now no. you have this dangerous, you know, traversing down this wet mountainside as we're slipping and falling into the pool of water anyway. And after that, we're like, we just, just put our faith in some guy that you give a hundred dollars to. Yeah, I'll take you cloofing. <laughs> and then since then, I've been like, maybe, maybe just pause and think a little bit before you do those kinds of things. We want to talk social media right now. And part of our jobs is to just spend time on social media. Twitter, for example, is a wonderful news aggregator. Uh, Facebook, I still have some fun on Facebook, but my personal preference is Instagram, partly because it's mostly a positive space. I find there's way less negativity on Instagram. And then there's there's just a lot of goofy golf videos. <laughs> so I, I end up wasting a lot of time every day on Instagram. But... As somebody without kids, one of the things I don't have to think about, Loren, is should kids be using this? Yeah, and we're asking that question this morning because Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg is under fire right now over this plan that's going to see or would see Facebook create a version of Instagram for kids under the age of 13. And so right now, kids under 13, they're technically not allowed to use Instagram, at least not the way it's currently built due to privacy regulations in the U.S. But Facebook has said that it wants a kid-friendly version of the app. And that, Greg, has a whole group of attorneys south of the border really fired up. That saying, in my mind, is an absolute oxymoron. Kid-friendly version of Facebook or Instagram? Come on now. Attorneys General from 44 U.S. states apparently agree with me. They've signed a letter urging Zuckerberg to abandon his plan, citing concerns over social media's effects on the physical and emotional well-being of children, as well as concerns over the possibility of more cyberbullying and online predators. Amy Morrison is an associate professor in the English department at the University of Waterloo. She also specializes in digital and social media and is very gracious with her time with us here on The Start. Good morning once again, Amy. Good morning. So this is sort of an open-ended question here uh, with, a, with a pointed uh, direction we want to go here. What's the deal with Instagram and this whole notion of Zuckerberg wanting to create this uh, Instagram light or Instagram for kids. This is a horrible idea, isn't it? Sure. It's, <laughs> there you go. End of interview. Yes, this is a terrible <laughs> idea. Uh, okay, why is it such a bad idea? Well, first of all, the one of the reasons that this service is um, attractive to the Zuckerbergs of the world is that it builds brand loyalty and buy-in among consumers who are too young to make more informed choices. So if these 44 attorneys general really want to put a stop to this new social media for the under 13s, what they could do would be to um, outlaw targeted advertising, because that's the entire that's the entire business proposition here, right, is to begin to gather data on the youngest consumers to market them. So if you all are watching like golf videos on your Instagram, I'm looking at makeup tutorials and social justice mm -hmm. stuff, 
on my Instagram, we're probably getting quite different ads, and some of the ads that I'm being served are sort of remarkably prescient about um, the things that I like and the things that I might be interested in doing. Who's taking up paint by numbers? Me, from an Instagram ad, right? So um, it's long been a rule since the early 1980s um, that you can't... um, there are different rules around advertising to children than there are around advertising to adults. And that's mostly recognizing that children are very impressionable um, and that their purchasing decisions or their nagging decisions around their parents are um, guided by something other than the most rational kinds of thoughts. You know, we're all very rational about how we deal with advertising as grown-ups. But, yeah, so there have been sort of regulations around that. And the Instagram model, of course, is to find out the absolute maximum amount of information about whoever happens to be using that account um, and then just targeting them over and over and over and over and over with ever more specific ads that are designed to circumvent um, our reasonable thinking. So that's the first reason. The second reason is it's a photo-based social medium that requires access to phones and the Internet. And, you know, we're more used to our kids um, having access to online spaces like Club Penguin, right? Or, um, you know, the Wild Kratz app from from TVO, um, games that are um, non-commercial or designed for child use that put limits around the capacity to share real names and to share photographs, right? So it puts some fences around children where their their identities remain mostly um, anonymous and, and where there's uh, limits on what kinds of material they can share. And that's the opposite of the Instagram model, which is tell us everything about your private life and take some photos of it, too. Um, Instagram also allows for the viral transmission of content. So um, Instagram for young people is largely full of memes and prank videos and, and all this other type of material that isn't just them sort of taking a picture of their lunch. They're, they're sharing other popular content in ways that's really difficult for parents to do adequate surveillance on. Yeah, it's just a nope from top to bottom for me. But aren't kids under 13 already using it? Like one of my, my friend's kids, he's been following me on Instagram for like since he was 10, I think. So like what's stopping these kids from using them right now? Yeah, so there is no effective age check on Instagram right now, right? But nor is there um, a space dedicated to please specifically children that are younger than 13. So um, children can be younger than 13 and um, without sort of adequate supervision can get themselves signed up for an account. But those accounts can always be canceled right now um, if if someone uh, pushes for that because the children are not legally <laughs> old enough to have those accounts. Um, there's, there's something uh, a little bit more lulling, and, and parents know too, right? The age limit is 13 and that even, you know, parents who are not the most technologically savvy would say, well, it says here you have to be 13 and you're not so why should I let you do this? There must be something there I should be worried about. And it's a little bit different when you see these apps that are like, you know, listed for eight-year-olds plus, right? They'll be like, well, I guess it's harmless, right? Because children are allowed to sign up for it. So even the fact that it's pitched or not to a certain age group who can or cannot sign up sort of regardless gives a signal to parents about the appropriateness of that space. I'm also wondering, you outlined some of the reasons to be against this, Amy, in terms of just, you know, the harvesting of data and the targeted ads and all the rest. It's also the, the, the more we have different apps for our kids, the more there's no break for them when they come home from school in terms of just the social aspect. We talked about bullying, maybe online predators. You know, you go to school, you might be harassed by someone, you go home. Well, now if you have these apps and this way to communicate, that harassment continues. Yeah, absolutely, because it's a really more open, it's a social platform, right? It's not a game. It's not 
um, a place that you go to and you sort of tend to digital pets or you you know you're farming for coins or or whatever it is you do like there's no activity there other than to socialize with one another so it's very much a space dedicated to sort of perpetuating that social dynamic and in the same way right now that you know a 10 year old can sign up for regular Instagram because there's no age verification as a 48 year old I could sign up as a 10 year old on kids Instagram right so there's really no guarantee or or no plan that seems to be in place for verifying in fact that the children who sign up for this service would in fact be children right so there's there's not it's it's not one of these walled gardens right where you go into it and you know exactly what's going to happen there and there's limits on what can take place in those spaces um it's an open social media platform that attaches to the broader internet that is public in the most general way Amy Morrison is an associate professor in the English department at the University of Waterloo. She specializes in digital and social media. Amy, a pleasure as always. Thank you very much. Lovely to be here. Breakfast with the Bombers, brought to you by the Cooperators. Find an advisor at cooperators.ca, a better place for you. And today on Breakfast with the Bombers, we want to introduce you to their first round, third overall pick in the Canadian Football League draft. His name is Liam Dobson. He is an offensive lineman, Brett, with some incredible athletic ability. Ed Tate of BlueBombers.com daringly compares Dobson's off-the-field athleticism to that of Winnipeg Blue Bomber legend Chris Walby. For those of you that don't know, Walby actually played hockey at a very high level as a young man, as a large man, was pretty good at it too. Loren, Liam Dobson can run quickly and jump impressively, which is something else when you consider he's listed at 6'3", 344. Oh, well, so let's get to know Liam Dobson. 344 pounds. Good morning, Liam. Good morning. How are you? We're well, thank you. I, I don't know if anyone has told you this, and I'm just learning this myself, but Blue Bomber offensive lineman Jeff Gray broke out a unicycle for his pro day here in Winnipeg, so we just were curious... <laughs> You can ride a unicycle, Liam? Um, I'm going to have to say I've never attempted, but I'm probably going to have to say no. <laughs> <laughs> no, we can, we can try later. We'll worry about that at a later date. Yeah, football is just one of the exactly. one sport on your resume, Liam. Let's talk about your road to U.S. college football. How did it happen? Yeah, you know, growing up in Ottawa, just playing, playing everything I could, you know what I mean? Lots of basketball, lots of hockey when I was younger. Um, in the Timbits organization and growing up and playing for a local Ottawa team. Um, and then once I got to high school, you know, I realized the more sports I played, the more long weekends I would have. So I joined everything. I was on the volleyball team for a little bit, the rugby team, you know, just really doing anything I could to get out there and uh, do something athletically. So um, every once in a while, you know, I'd go for a tournament, but, you know, kind of, developed into a, a football player and kind of started to focus on football later in my high school career and then ended up down in the States and had a pretty good career here and then, you know, kind of last week had a great couple nights, you know, and ended up talking to Coach O'Shea and here we are. I want to ask you about what you studied in college in a moment, but before that, uh, is it correct that you can also dunk a basketball? 
Yes, sir. You know, playing playing basketball for quite a few years, you learn how to run up and down the court and jump pretty well. You know, so it helps being six foot three. But yes, sir, I can dunk a ball. <laughs> well, I, I ask because I'm six foot four and I never could uh, dunk a basketball. So I, I played basketball, but I can't <laughs> jump to save my life. So I bow to you, sir. That's quite impressive uh, for a man of your stature. So you're also quite the student. We understand you just completed your final English paper on draft night last Tuesday. What was the topic of that and what are you studying in college? Yeah, so um, at the University of Maine, I was a childhood and uh, family studies major. Um, but since I've recently transferred to Texas State, I'm in an um, organization, workplace leadership major. It's just the like a liberal arts degree. Um, most of my credits from Maine transferred into this degree here. Um, so that's what I'm going to be finishing up as. But um, as to my English paper, you know, I was just writing about the third-party contracting of um, prison contracts in America. You know, that was my uh, one of the topics that was suggested and one of the ones I thought that was a good idea to write about. So that's what I went with. So we should be getting the final grade back on that pretty soon. So fingers crossed. <laughs> Hey, Liam, tell me this. I've had a couple of buddies who who played in U.S. college uh, football back in the day. And then, uh, of course, Doug Brown. I'm sure you're familiar with Doug. Uh, He's told me the story about how at his first NFL training camp, he was forced to sing Oh Canada every single day at lunchtime in front of the entire team. Uh, Canadians sometimes got a little bit of a rough time in, in training camps and and from U.S. college uh, players, from their peers, is that changing at all? Or did you have to go through a, a similar sort of uh, initiation, so to speak? No, it, it's definitely been changing. Those guys like to pretend like they'll give you a hard time, but they typically just ask, like, oh, is it snowing up there all the time? Or is, they really just ask a couple goofy questions to mess with you a little bit. But they, they know it's pretty much very similar, so... Um, you tend not to get the, those types of situations anymore. Well, that's good to know. It's because Canadians are really starting to become appreciated in the NFL. It's nothing new for a handful of Canadians to be playing in the league at any one time. That's been going on for years now. But clearly, U.S. colleges are scouting Canada uh, big time right now. What are the opportunities like for Canadians as you see it in top-level football, whether it be college, whether it be NFL, whether it be CFL? Yeah, like you said, I mean, the NFL has played a huge part of that, you know, just getting the Canadian kids out there getting drafted or whether it's just signing contracts and being able to go there in the NFL and just, like, inspiring kids across Canada and seeing that, oh, I want to play football at the highest level and here's a kid from Ottawa or British Columbia or wherever it be playing in the NFL. That just inspires kids to go out there and work and then, um, the more opportunities they have to go out there and work hard, the more opportunities U.S. colleges get to go out there and recruit them. And it's just been insane the past couple of years how Canadian kids have been taking off and being recruited for American schools. And there's tons of organizations now in Canada. Like the couple that I'm most familiar with is Gridiron Academy out of Ottawa. Victor does a great job there of helping kids be recruited and there's I'm sure there's many other like him across Canada but I'm just familiar with him and just he does a great job of sticking up for kids helping kids get recruited and wanting the best out of them academically and athletically when they go to the U.S. so chances like that and people like that have just helped 
skyrocket the stock of Canadian kids in terms of getting them down to American schools. So you just mentioned academically and athletically, Liam. Is the academic side of your life over for now, now that you finished that last paper? Or is there more college down the road or, you know, maybe another degree? Um, so for me, uh, since I transferred, I was on track to graduate um, at this time. But since I transferred, uh, that kind of got pushed back two semesters. So I'll be graduating this time next year. So I still have one full year to, of school to complete. Well, Liam Dobson, thank you so much for joining us this morning to chat breakfast with the Bombers. We appreciate your time, sir, and welcome. No worries. Thank you. I'm excited to be a part of the organization. Liam Dobson, offensive lineman, and he is the Winnipeg Blue Bombers' first round, third overall pick in the Canadian Football League draft. Again, 6'3", 344 pounds, and he can dunk a basketball. I'm so jealous. Uh, that, that's my biggest regret about basketball. I never did the, I didn't put in the work, Greg. Mm. I could have. I, all, I came close. I just needed to work on, like, actually do exercises, you know, <laughs> build some muscles. <laughs> my actually hands are big enough exercising. to hold a basketball. Oh, sorry, Lorraine, go ahead. No, just actually do the exercising. It was just funny life. <laughs> my hands are big enough to hold a basketball. And so I would try and dunk a, a volleyball. And I think the best that I could ever do was a tennis ball. That's as, that's as good as I could do. I could definitely get my hand above the rim, but that was about it. We just want to have a quick chat about the continued uncertainty, Loren, towards the AstraZeneca vaccine. Yeah, and when the age was reduced to 40, uh, I want to say about three, three weeks ago or so ago, Brett, uh, you know, many of us, I think this whole team included, jumped on the chance to get that vaccine. And then, of course, you had that nasty report, the um advisory team on immunizations come out and say, look, it's there's nothing wrong with it, but, you know, if you can... The Pfizer and Moderna are the preferred ones. And then, of course, if you're in a high-risk area, you take the shot that's presented to you. And so, of course, that's created a lot of people wondering if they've already done it. Did they make the right choice? Should they still make that choice, uh, depending on where they live? Or should they factor in the high-risk zones or geography and all the rest? And uh, it's even led to questions in in when you talk vaccines and amongst friends or neighbors or family. Which one did you get? Which one are you going for? Ooh, is that pop-up site a a Pfizer one or a Moderna? What do you got there? And so it's created these really fascinating conversations, including this opinion article in the Global Mail this morning is asking the question whether or not we should ditch as a country AstraZeneca before it drags down the whole vaccine program. And by that, he's just going on to say, because of the uncertainty it created, there's now those questions too about, well, what about shot two? Can I get, will there be supply for me to get the AstraZeneca shot a second time around when I need it? Or are we going to mix and match? What's the science showing all on all that? And Greg, it's led to us having this conversation this morning, like, okay, yeah, we appreciate the questions, but let's take a look at the UK. We, you were talking this morning about how they reported zero deaths yesterday for the mm-hmm. pretty much the first time since the pandemic started. And one of their clear ways out of that was on the backs of AstraZeneca vaccine. 26 or 28 million uh, folks in the UK. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to verify that number on the internet right now, unless one of the two of you have it in front of you. There's 28 million doses. 28 million doses. So, you know, um, 
what else can you say? I know there have been some concerns. One of our listeners, and I don't know the source of this, so I'm not going to share necessarily uh, the risks uh, versus other sorts of activity, but it does compare in this infographic uh, the risk of blood clots uh, between the, the AstraZeneca vaccine, birth control pill, smoking, and COVID infection. And based on all the research I've done and all the reading I've done on it, the risk is minuscule versus just basically everyday life, uh, certainly versus uh, taking the birth control pill, and most definitely uh, versus uh, having the COVID infection itself. So I understand some of that. Yes, we've been talking about vaccine hesitancy, but uh, there's also now this this idea that uh, you're envious, vaccine envy. Which one did you get? Mm-hmm. Oh, man, I wish I would have got that one. And that... And, uh, you know, I'm not going to tell people how to feel about it, but it's a little bit of a dangerous place to live, is it not? Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, question of the day at cjob.com, brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. And the question is... Facebook is under fire for plans to develop an Instagram for kids under 13. Do you already let your kids use it? So you can cast your vote at cjob.com. We put a modified version of that poll on our Instagram at 680cjob, and I'll put that up on Twitter as well as soon as possible. But, Loren, what's the deal here? What's the big deal? Well, Facebook said a few months ago that it was working on this Instagram app for kids under 13. In theory, right now, when you sign up for Instagram, you have to be 13 and up. Now, of course, that doesn't mean kids aren't signing up for it. You know, you just click a box. And if your parents aren't paying attention or your guardian, you might not know that this is the case. But it's really meant to be for teens and up. And now there's attorneys general from 44 states and territories asking Facebook to stop abandon these plans to create this Insta service for kids because they're really worried about all sorts of things. Greg, you know, the targeting of ads that are coming through it, the fact that it could lead to more cyberbullying, the fact it could lead to more online predators uh, working at and getting at our kids, the fact that it could just have them be sort of inundated with messages and then just the emotional side of what apps and social media can do to all of us. And so they're weighing in heavily saying, get lost, get lost with this plan. We spoke to a digital media expert after seven who basically in one word said, yeah, terrible idea. But we know kids are going on all sorts of apps. And so I'm kind of curious in homes where there are kids, how are you controlling what they have on their phone? Are we, uh, quite frankly, I'm starting to wonder if I need to take a course in all these things so I better even understand their purpose and their use before you let your kids go down that road. Because you don't know what they're getting into. I don't even know what I'm getting into sometimes. Well, I think that's clear. I, when Facebook started, I don't think any of us understood what we were mm-hmm. getting into, what we were agreeing to, what we were turning over to Facebook. We've heard so many times, like if the product is free, if, if the service is free, you are the product. Your information is the product. Your habits are the product. And that's what's happening here. Instagram, like Zuckerberg, you're not rich enough. You need more information. You need to indoctrinate these children even sooner in their lives in order for you to sell whatever you want to sell to them and and take over their Instagram feeds and their social media to the extent that you know stuff about them from cradle to grave. I mean, I know we give that up freely, but for them to target kids, Amy Morrison 
who we spoke to, you referenced there, Loren, also said, look, there have been laws on the books since the 1980s in terms of advertising uh, directed towards children. Uh, we know that cigarette advertising was banned altogether, but there was also, you know, just go back and do your research on Joe Camel and, and some of these other cartoon characters that have been created either for by alcohol companies or by the tobacco companies. That, that was their goal was to entrance the young people. Toucan Sam is there to get your hood, kids hooked on sugar, sugar. He's a sugar peddler, plain <laughs> and simple. And we know this. Tony the Tiger, yeah, he's great and everything, but, you know, he's there to entice your kids so that when you're at the grocery store, you're, they're tugging on your, on your shirt uh, and, on your, uh, and on your skirt to say, hey, I want this. I want this. Yeah, Facebook you know, has promised. They're promise, masterful. Right. It's been a long time that, that kids have been manipulated this way. Well, Zuckerberg has promised that they would develop this app if they continue with it, that it won't show ads to kids. But I think sure. that's just scratching the surface, Brad. I mean, even if they say that, we know that there's all sorts of workarounds. And we I can't get over how instantly I'm targeted by ads after a quick search on my phone with things these days, even to the point where I think if I say something and my phone is listening, and it just makes me think, did it just hear me say that? Why is it showing me the shampoo? And and so the ads is one part of the part of the problem. But uh, there's the whole child abuse situation, the images that are being shared, child sexual abuse images, Facebook and Instagram reported 20 million child sex abuse images in 2020. And so just the more you put yourself out there, the more you put yourself at risk. And I don't know about you, but it's hard enough as an adult to navigate that sometimes. Right now, we want to talk about something that Jeff Braun closed out his newscast with, and that is Pakistan's prime minister denouncing Israel's use of force against Palestinians during the fasting month of Ramadan. Imran Khan says he's asked his foreign minister to contact his Turkish and Saudi counterparts to discuss how to collectively respond. Earlier, Pakistan's foreign minister urged the world community to take notice of Israel's force against innocent Palestinian worshippers. Under discussion is whether Pakistan, Saudi and Turkish officials should convene the Organization of Islamic Cooperation, a group of Islamic countries. Pakistan is one of the few countries that have no diplomatic relations with Israel. I'm Charles de Ledesma. Now, Loren, I don't want to try to turn this into, you know, make this about you, but you have some experience working in this part of the world. Yeah, working in both Israel and in Gaza. When I was there between 2008 and 2010, there was an intifada where there was the a war again between Gaza and Israel. And so, you know, watching what's going on there, I can only imagine how people there feel to think just the length to which this continues, the tensions constantly being there, the, the back and forth and the whole idea that, frankly, when I was watching pictures last night on Global National and again this morning running on our station, it looks it could it could have been a newsreel from ten years ago, fifteen years ago. It just it's so similar in how we keep coming back to the same point. And so what's happening there today again? Israel has unleashed new airstrikes on Gaza. This is a couple of days in a row now they've been doing it. They're targeting biz- buildings believed to house militants, which are shooting rockets back at Israel. But by the end of the day yesterday, there were twenty six Palestinian. Palestinians killed. Israel has said sixteen of those were militants, but there's also been children that have been hurt in those attacks. And then. During the same period, Gaza militants fired hundreds of rockets towards Israel, killing two Israeli 
civilians. And so having been on both sides of that border between Gaza and Israel, the the very real tension and fear and concern is so high on a regular day, let alone a day like today, a day like yesterday, a day like tomorrow. And it feels like there's just no end in sight. It's this repeat cycle of things. And so it's hard to watch just as a bystander, let alone if you're someone who has family over there, be it Palestinian, Jewish, be it on Israel, Gaza, the West Bank, wherever it is, it's so hard to watch. And one thing that really struck me, Greg, when I was watching the video last night, is that we talk about this world of chaos we're all living in right now and how it's so relative compared to other places in the world. Yes, we are dealing with so much with COVID, but you watch uh, these ongoing conflicts in the Middle East, for example, and the return to what could be another intifada war and, and wondering where it goes and how people come to live with that, you know, the daily sound of rockets or being in Gaza and having your loved one lost or uh, sitting on the cap, a, a town next to Gaza in Starot and you're constantly running to a bunker to, to run from a rocket. And I was watching these pictures play out in Jerusalem last night. And in the midst of these clashes, also in Jerusalem, where there was a, a whole host of back and forth rocks were being thrown, tear gas being fired back by uh, Israeli military. And in the middle of it is this. Palestinian is Arab man sitting there reading his book, just sitting mm-hmm. there reading Leaning Against the Tree because life still continues amidst all that. And it's just, it's really, it's really hard to watch. I mean, this has been going on for, since the creation of, well, this, this is uh, historical, right? Uh, for, for almost uh, all of human history, there's been this battle in this part of the world over over a variety of different things. And at the heart of this right now, though, I, I mean, I remember this from since I'm six years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anwar Sadat, Menachem Begin, uh, the Prime Minister of Israel, Anwar Sadat, the, the President or Prime Minister of Egypt, forgive me for not recalling uh, which uh, seat that the that they use, and, and the peace accord that they came up with in, in Camp David, and this notion of peace in the Middle East, and it's just never, ever happened. And I'm always fascinated because this is incredibly uh, perspective creating, as you mentioned, and just the whole idea. I know so many people who are either uh, from Israel, people have visited or lived there at different times. And that whole idea of a siren going, you're on, on a street cafe enjoying the day, siren goes, you go into what's effectively a bomb shelter the all clear is is sounded, and then you kind of go back to your day. Is is that accurate? Yeah, and quite frankly, sometimes people wouldn't even seek shelter. Like it was just like they're just walking home. I'm just going to get home, right? It depends on where you live and what what the possibility was of those rockets hitting you, or or vice versa. Uh, in Gaza, there's not necessarily a place to run. It's a pretty good condensed area. So on the opposite end, when an airstrike happens, yes, the military is is. This, targeting says it's targeting militants but the aftermath of that bomb is bomb is immense and yes innocent civilians do get hurt too and so just just for everyone watching that possibility of hearing that siren and knowing that it could hit someone you know or a house or a place that you visited it's crazy to live your life daily like that and yet here we are and israel has warned the prime minister that this fighting can continue for seven days sort of the third time there's been major classes clashes since Hamas took over the strip in 2007 and it just the cycle to which it continues I I mean politicians leaders the answer to fixing that I'm 
sitting here throwing my hands up in the air, but it hurts to watch. If you know or maybe love someone who lives in this part of the world, we would love to hear from you. 204-780-6868. You can also email Mackling at CJOB.com, McNabb at CJOB.com, or Brett at CJOB.com. I also just want to read this text message, switch gears here for a moment before we uh, check traffic and weather. We were talking earlier about the census. It is census day, and we've been asking you to share your census experience. Did you get the short one? Did you get the long one? And this listener says, yeah, I just wanted to share my experience with the recent census. I just got mine in the mailbox, filled it out right away, and I realized I had a long form. I found it rather tedious and boring because I heard that in the past they asked about uh, the number of toilets that you have and stuff like that. (laughs) Well, just like your host said, that was me. I was upset that they asked me the year my apartment was built. I had to Google it and research it, LOL. I was expecting more personal questions, so I just found it kind of boring because I lived alone. I didn't have to fill out as much. I was really willing to say more. Oh, well, maybe next time, LOL. So I just, I find this so fascinating how something that people used to complain about en masse, now everybody's complaining, I wanted the long one, and even the long one wasn't long enough. So are we that bored? Are we that bored with the world right now that we're clamoring for the census? Ask me anything. It's almost like I was thinking of you, Brett, like it's like sitting down with an online date with a statistician. And you're like, oh, this is a weird question, but I'm game. All right. Let me just get a shot. And then I'll continue on answering your weird queries about how old my apartment building is and when it was built. What kind of cheese do you like? Okay. I don't know why you need to know that, but all right. Marble. No. <laughs> they don't ask that. And let's be frank, worst cheese ever. Uh, Bothwell has, I can't remember what it's called. It, uh, shoot. Is it, it's, I think it might be like Munster. It's got, mm-hmm. it's like, it, it's like um, orange and red. It's very tasty. Munster? But I think so. But it gets, it can be kind of messy, but it's really good. Uh, but you know what? I, that reminds me, I should go to the, the fromagerie on Provence. I haven't been there for a while. I got to reload on my Bothwell supply. And yesterday, one of our loyal texters, I believe it was Tim, Greg, told us about a group of hairstylists. One of our two Tims, yes. One of our two Tims. I think we have a couple, we have more than two Tims. We have a double-double. One of our loyal texters told us about a group of hairstylists cutting hair Saturday from the wee hours of the morning until late at night just before that lockdown went into effect. Lisa Glass is part owner, manager, stylist at 360 Hair Studio on McGregor right at Leela and joins us now. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning. This is now the third lockdown for your industry. How are you doing? Oh, <laughs> it's frust- It's so frustrating. But I mean, I'm not the only one. Obviously, everybody's frustrated about the whole uh, situation. But uh, yeah, it's very frustrating. Um, I, I'm not understanding why they're having to shut the salons down. Um, we're taking all the precautions that we need to. We've had the COVID, I call them the COVID police. They've come in so many times into the salon. And it's interesting, though, because they'll walk in, they'll look around, they'll see, how many clients do you have? I'm like, we have two. They're like, oh, okay, uh, just look around the room. Okay, that's good. And then they walk out. And it's just like, well, what? Like, what's the purpose of that? You're not even checking to make sure that the sanitizers are full or that the, you know, like, it's, I don't know. It's very frustrating. 
Now, Tim told us that there was hair being styled from around 4 a.m. until mm-hmm. 11 p.m. on Saturday. How yep. good a reporter is Tim? <laughs> uh, pretty bang on, actually. Yep, I, I believe the uh, shale, um, he got there, I think his first haircut was at 4.15. And, um, and then one of the girls was there until she said she left just before midnight. That's fantastic. That's obviously a commitment to customer service and people want certain things done, a sense of normalcy. And I think that getting the hair did was a big part of that. Lisa, I spoke to Shale yesterday, uh, owner, stylist, and I know he's taking advantage of this time to spend with his new baby. And you told me yesterday that you're trying to make the best of this bad situation as well. What's the strategy for you? Um, you know what? I, I'm not ashamed to admit I have health issues, and uh, my work is my passion, and that's where my outlet is to, to see people, especially during COVID. I mean, if it wasn't COVID, you obviously you make time for your family and your friends and all that kind of stuff. But um, right now, it's that's that's pretty much my outlet. Chair, that's my happy place. Um, but right now, like right now, I've got a four-month-old puppy chewing on my string on my hoodie. Uh, that I'll be dealing with. Um, and yeah, just making sure that I'm getting outside and getting some fresh air. I bought a bike, so I was able to get my hands on one and know they're hard to come by. And and also too, you know what, I'm, I'm going to uh, be just looking at uh, watching some videos and stuff like that and, and just kind of following up with some um, different hairstylists out there that have... Um, different techniques and stuff, just kind of bettering myself because you know what, when we get back into the salon, hopefully in the three week period, um, I want to hit the the ground running and I want to make sure that I'm prepared for how busy it's going to be again. Cause that's what, that's what hits us hard is uh, once we get back into the salon, we have to, from the day that the salon closes, we have to go back to those days and, um, try and fit all those people in that, that we weren't able to put into the salon, we have to now put those people in first. So in turn, when we get back, all those people that we would be doing, say May 28th or what have you, um, now they're pushed into June 28th kind of thing. So it's there's a lot of organizing. It's I, I'll bring the appointment book home and, and get that all figured out as well. So it's uh, yeah, it's just about keeping the mind and the body busy while we're off. I'm so pleased to hear the the spin that you're trying to put on it in terms of just, you know, as you said, bettering yourself. But in the meantime, yes. there is that uncertainty. And so I'm just curious for you or for staff there, is it, is it then also trying to figure out, do I go back on, you know, EI or call, contact the feds again for the programs? How do I navigate the dollars and cents of this all in the next three to maybe longer weeks? Yeah, you know what? I don't think that there's any sort of other program other than EI. Um, there's a lot of chair renters out there, too, that I'm, I'm not sure exactly how they are affected by it with being... Um, yeah, I, I think that, well, today I'm going to go and see if I can apply for EI, and hopefully that comes through. Um, you know, you're only allowed to collect it for so long, and the last time we were off for eight weeks. So, um, yeah, it's... I don't know. It's it's very frustrating. <laughs> the only thing I can say, I mean, just just trying to let you exactly navigate through it and just kind of try and keep a positive attitude. Lisa Glass, part owner, manager, stylist at 360 Hair Studio on McGregor, McGregor at 
Leela joining us live on 680 CJOB. Lisa, thank you so much for the time. Uh, thank we're, you. We're sorry you're going through this again. Oh, it's it's all good. We'll we'll manage. You know what? I've got a great group of uh, clients and friends and family um, that are such a great support unit. And um, yeah, you know what? We'll do it. And what else can you do? You just you got to just work through it. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, 204-780-6868 is the number we've been asking you to text us on for a $20 gift card for Santa Lucia Pizza, the tourist location you would like to get to but probably won't go there either because you think the construction is sketchy or the location maybe just will never work for whatever reason. Chinese suspension bridge, tourist was trapped on it because super wind gust, 150K, blew out all the glass and you walk on glass it is made <laughs> the walking surface is made of glass so imagine how fun that would have been so here is one text leaning tower of pisa i don't feel like falling over at the same time the tower is <laughs> so fair fair assessment yeah i would agree with that one i don't know if it would keep me off the leaning tower of pisa but uh probably now you've given me a second thought uh, another listener says terrified of heights and small planes but everyone else in my group was going so i had to do it you fly low over this site in a small plane and it dips and dives thank goodness it only lasts 45 minutes Climbing Machu Picchu was nothing compared to this. And I mentioned that that's where I would like to go and uh, pointed to uh, these uh, hanging uh, <clears throat> globes, basically snow globe without any snow hanging on the edge of uh, the mountains in Peru as a place that I'd love to go, but don't have the guts. What have you got, Loren? Oh, this listener texted to say, hey, I think for myself, I'm pretty open to visiting just about any kind of attraction. I love to travel, love to get out, see new things. However, the one concept that does not appeal to me, cruises. Getting on board the ship with several thousand of your closest friends in a floating Petri dish doesn't have any appeal. It's a neat idea to go to sleep and wake up somewhere else. However, off the boat, run around, fear about missing the boat back on with several thousand of your closest friends. So for me... I'll take a pass on cruises. I felt the same way, but not because of those reasons. I do not want to be stuck in a situation where I cannot see land. And ever. our winning text is from Taylor. Taylor says, my dream trip is to backpack through Egypt. When I told my family, they said, I'm crazy. But my dream has since expanded and I want to do a biblical tour of the Middle East. I get told constantly I'm crazy for wanting to go to such a dangerous place and right now it certainly wouldn't be safe, but Taylor says one day I will make it there. So Taylor, for your determination, we salute you. $20 gift card, Santa Lucia pizza coming your way. Thanks to all who played along today. This was fun. an opportunity to celebrate Manitobans and the things we do as well as, if not anybody, anywhere, give back. Yeah, we've said it before, and I think it's worth saying again, our reputation as the most generous province in the country. I think it gives us all a sense of pride and maybe a tremendous sense of community. And year after year, Manitobans give a greater percentage of their income to charity than any other province in Canada, Greg, but it's not just dollars and cents. We know Manitobans are also giving back big time in another way. Yeah, and I think we're pretty good at that too. Jackie Hunt is the Executive Director of Volunteers of Manitoba. Jackie, good morning to you. Good morning. 
great to speak with you. And I think we're looking to add a little bit of positivity to wind up our day, at least our work day here on the start. So we appreciate what you do. Tell us a little bit about Volunteers Manitoba for those who are not familiar with your organization. Well, Volunteer Manitoba is the only volunteer centre across the province. Our job is really to promote uh, volunteerism and the good work that people are doing uh, and the organizations that uh, that require the volunteers, uh, the charities and the community groups, the nonprofits. So we're really here to just uh, help build capacity and help build community across the province. So as you work to build up that sense of community, um, what are you seeing and, and hearing from Manitobans? As we mentioned, we like to step up. People like to volunteer, but it can sometimes be a struggle. So are there challenges with getting people to, whether it be for, uh, you know, an organization that needs someone to help run an event or a sporting event or what have you? Do we sometimes struggle to get people to sign up or is that ever an issue? I will tell you, it's never an issue to get Manitobans to step up to the plate to volunteer. We've got the second highest volunteer rate in Canada. Um, I think that the biggest detriment right now is the pandemic. And we know there's 80% of our volunteers that are ready to get back to work when the volunteer programs open and the world rights itself. But there are people who are stepping up in volunteer capacities that they haven't in the past because there's so much need at the front line uh, to help us through this pandemic. Now, nominations for the 38th annual Volunteer Awards are now open. Who's eligible? Uh, Well, really, anybody who serves their time in any capacity in this province, there is a category that they can be nominated for. Uh, It's really the idea is we have 11 categories uh, with about 30 volunteer awards that will be handed out during the event. But really, these awards, yes, we recognize individual efforts, but it's really to collectively remember that volunteerism is the lifeblood of any community that we have. So anywhere from the Lieutenant Governor's Make a Difference Community Awards, Manitoba Liquor and Lotteries Family Awards, there is a category for anybody who serves uh, any of their time to help others. Jackie, it's sort of interesting, at least in my mind, I'm thinking about the people in my life that I know that spend a lot of time volunteering and they do it sort of on the QT. They don't make a big deal of it. So here you are, you have these volunteer awards. They've been going on for almost four decades now. And really, I think ultimately, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I think you end up honoring people who would just prefer to, to for the most part, just be sort of on the sidelines. They, they don't necessarily relish the recognition. Yeah, yeah. Uh, volunteerism, it's a very personal act of service. Um, it's altruistic and, and people aren't doing it to get a pat on the back. So, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things where we, we think it's really important to recognize volunteers because without volunteers, um, many nonprofits and charities doors would not stay open. Um, um, but the spirit in which these awards are presented is, is really just to um, recognize and acknowledge. Um, and, um, and so you're right. It's, it's one of those things that we do it out of the kindness of our hearts. We do it for selfless reasons. Uh, but we still think it's really important to recognize efforts that are happening because what it does is it then encourages other people to think about how they might in turn give back and serve in their communities as well. It's an inspiring event, the Volunteer Awards, and whether you're holding them virtually or in person, Jackie, just hearing what people do. And, and I remember being at the supper once and, and it made me pause and think about all the vast numbers of people that we rely on 
to do all sorts of work in our community. It could be anything from, you know, volunteer weather stations to burn sanctuaries to cancer fundraisers. I mean, it really runs the gamut and it makes you pause and think, wow, we need thousands of people to put in their own time, their own hours without pay to actually make so many things run. Yeah. And, you know, one of the uh, one of the things we don't often think about is that virtual volunteering. And it's really come to light during the pandemic because a lot of us can't go to those programs we usually spend our time at. Helping your friends, your family, your neighbours, those small random acts of kindness are all service to others. And what is beautiful about uh, we did the, the awards virtually last year. We weren't able to hold the dinner. But what we did do is we went to almost every community that we could that had a winner across the province. We went to their communities, we went to where they were doing their volunteer work, and we interviewed them and we heard about their stories. And it was so beautiful to actually be where they do the work and see the direct impact that they have. So we're really looking forward to being able to host it again virtually this year because we can't wait to get out to those communities over the summer and just celebrate the great work that they are doing and the differences that they're making. Jackie Hunt is the Executive Director of Volunteers Manitoba. We're talking about the 38th Annual Volunteer Awards. If somebody, if you were talking to somebody and they said, you know, I've always kind of wanted to volunteer, but I don't know, I just, I don't know how I'd have time for that. Uh, I might be speaking from personal experience, but uh, what would you say to someone like that? Well, the beautiful thing about volunteerism is there's something for everybody. It's got to be something that you're passionate about. You could have one day a month or one hour a month that you have free. There's a volunteer opportunity for that. There's people that maybe are retired and they have more time and they have, you know, that where they can volunteer. There is something for everybody. There is no um, little that you can give. Um, and we all have volunteer opportunities at any given time listed on our website. Um, right now we're seeing about 85 positions uh, at any given time. It's usually higher when the, when the pandemic will pass. But there is something for everybody and time is, you know, it's elusive. It's the only thing we can, you know, we can really covet for ourselves and decide how we're going to spend it. And like I said, if you only have an hour, there is an opportunity out there and there's an organization that will be more than happy to accept that generous gift. So Jackie, how do we go about nominating somebody who's going above and beyond uh, in the service of others, in the service of our community? Well, we've tried to make it as simple as possible. If you go to volunteermanitoba.ca slash awards, there are three steps. We ask you three questions. Tell us about the nominee, why you're nominating them, and the benefits they're having to the community. And you can decide when you go there which categories you think the the service that they're doing uh, best fits. And if you need an extra hand, we have our entire team is waiting to help anybody who needs help to fill out these, these nominations. So we try and make it as easy as possible uh, to recognize as many as possible. Jackie Hunt, Executive Director of Volunteers Manitoba, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Jackie, thank you very much for this. Much appreciated. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Yeah, I I have often thought about, man, it would be nice if I could volunteer somewhere and I always seem to talk myself out of it. Uh, you could teach me to golf. Would you volunteer for that? I've signed up for a, a league for the first time ever. Did you really? I yeah, I don't even know how. Like I frankly don't even know how to get the ball into the air. Like when I hit it, it rolls. I'm a Didn't terrible we golf teacher. with you once. Yeah, yeah it was terrible. Once? I think I laughed after four holes. I was like, "All right. <laughs> off to find the beer cart. See you later." <laughs> I don't really like it. Like, I like the idea of being outside and I'm excited to be able to safely, you know, socially distance from friends and see them that way so that we can hang out together. But 
I don't really like it. No. But here you are joining me. Here I am. You you are a sucker for self-punishment, McNabb. Way to go. Wait till I'm (laughs) hoisting that trophy in September. (laughs) Look at Brett. He loves loves to put himself through all this pain and the self-loathing, this Mm self-deprecation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But there's nothing he loves more than golf. It's It's a strange breed. It is. Golfers. It's it's a bizarre thing. I remarked on the green the other day as after I missed a short putt, I thought, how can I simultaneously love and hate something so much at the, the exact same time? That's golf. So I, I guess I could try, Loren. If we could count that as a volunteer hour, <laughs> then perhaps. What I was really going to say is that I there has to be something golf-related. If you p- pick a passion, you know, there has to be something where you get to take a senior out or you teach kids or... Man, the hilarious things that would come you out of kids' mouths if you were teaching them I've to seen. golf. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what? That's a great idea, Loren. Maybe there I will think about that. There has to be something golf-related. There must be. If you have any ideas, 204-780-6868-946. Mackling How to dress McNab. snappy as a golfer. You're good at that. I try to look the part. I, I try you, to tell myself, do. if I look the part, maybe I can be the part. It doesn't <laughs> yes. usually work, but... Hey, I haven't even hit my first shot, and I've already bought my first pair of pants because I'm like, these look good. (laughs) (laughs) What are they? Are they they plaid? What are they? I don't know. I'm like, these are the. I look sporty. (laughs) Check this out. Hey, thanks for listening to the Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show. Tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global. And on Instagram, at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.